0: Good morning. I think I'm going to be around for more than a couple weeks in a row now. so, And I'm, I'm really excited because we're starting a new series in the uh, Ten Commandments today. Uh, we're going to look at them uh, from Exodus chapter 20. They also appear over in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, but we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. We'll have a couple of uh, overview, perspective sermons, and then, Lord willing, dig into each commandment, one by one, in the following ten weeks after that. And I titled this series, uh, the, the Love of God and the Law of Fire, because I, I, I want us to capture two very important aspects about... God's commands. And I want to keep them in view as we go through all of these commandments that the demands of God, His his law, are always rooted in His love, what's best for us. And the law is only faithfully kept by those who understand that, who love God and understand that obedience is part of maintaining uh, a healthy relationship, not establishing it. That that relationship in fact is with God and other people and the law and its limits are, are, are more profound than just uh, do's and don'ts. That there is in fact the reality that the law is all about healthy relationships. And if we grasp that, if, We can understand that the law of God is saying basically this is how we live together in a healthy way. We'll see that they are not just something of the past. And they're not something that earns any favor, but they're actually what is good and right and true for us. Just like in a sense, the, the oil flowing through an old combustion engine keeps it lubricated and running and all of those kind of things, and that if you leave that oil out, you begin to burn up. You smoke, your engine is not performing as it should, and eventually it will crumble. The same way, the law of God comes to us to accomplish good purposes. And today in particular, we're going to look at the source of God's love. And we're going to look at that from Exodus chapter 20. We'll read verses 1 through 17 today of Exodus chapter 20, but mostly just focus on the first couple of verses. This is God's Word. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth you shall not worship them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor this is god's word lord thank you for speaking to us for revealing yourself in various ways but ultimately in the person of jesus christ as we come to your word as specifically this portion of your law would you show us the grace that is so saturated within it transform us to be a people who love you and delight in your limits, and your law, and who live freely, basking in that love. Uh, Would you meet us here today as your Spirit accompanies your Word, for we come in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know how recently you have looked at the book of Exodus, or at the Ten Commandments in particular, but just a brief reminder of the setting that this passage occurs a little over three months from God's dramatic rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt. That great event of the Passover is only 90 days or so behind them, and they have been brought out miraculously after plague after plague as Pharaoh resisted God's will. And God judged and judged and judged and showed him to be the true and living God over... Anything that would oppose him. And God set his people free, leading them by a pillar of fire out into the wilderness, parting the Red Sea, providing for them manna. And all through that time, what, the people were just delightful and obedient and praising and thanking God always and on nonstop, right? No, of course, they weren't. They resisted, grumbled. They complained to Moses. They rebelled just a couple of chapters ago significantly against Moses and against God and yet here they are they've been led to this mountain out in the wilderness called Sinai and these dramatic signs happen there's thunder and a loud trumpet sound there's lightning flashes and a thick cloud on the mountain they feel the mountain quaking and the Lord the uh, chapter 19 says descended on the mountain in fire and Moses goes up and down several times to talk to the Lord and come down to talk to the people, and the people stay distant. And then we read this passage: God spoke all these words. That's the context here: that the great deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt, that it was not about absolute freedom. Like, yay, we're not slaves; we can do whatever we want. God was very clear. I'm setting you free that you would worship me, that you would serve me, that you would live, in other words, in a right relationship with me, your maker, your redeemer. That's the context of the law here and always, that it comes as part of a relationship with God. And God comes and speaks to His people after delivering them that they might know clearly what He wants from them. That He might be really clear about what a relationship with Him should look like for His people. And so He speaks dramatically, signs, deliverance, miracles, and now these words. And in fact, it, these words here are, are couched in a familiar form to the people of those days. It's not as evident here in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, but it was a common form in Deuteronomy chapter five, actually the whole book of Deuteronomy is very much in this format of a covenant, a treaty, a formal document, very often between a conquering king also known as a suzerain, a weird word, suzerain, or sovereign, conquering king, and the people that he conquers called vassals or lesser kings or princes or the conquered people, that there is this format of agreement between that powerful king and the subjected people where he would promise to care for them as long as they were faithful to him. That he would provide for them in so many ways. And and this section of Exodus is not a one-to-one match with that form, but as I said, the whole book of Deuteronomy, which is actually called the Deuteronomy because it is the second law, it comes really close to that format of what is called the Hittite suzerain treaty covenants, if you want to look into it some more. In fact, someone has said that Deuteronomy, the book, is saturated with suzerain treaty language and structure. So why am I saying all that? Not not to point out the technical details, but to say that the point of the law, that the coming of the commands of God clearly revealed at Mount Sinai are much more than a list of do's and don'ts, and they have nothing to do with Establishing a relationship with God, about meriting his favor. They are all about how to maintain an existing relationship that in those days could come as a king conquers another people. It could come in the time of King David, as he enters into a covenant with his existing friendship with Jonathan. Or here it comes as an existing relationship where God has saved this people who don't deserve it. He came to them in the midst of their slavery and oppression and set them free. And despite their grumbling and complaining, he continues to relate to them and brings them to the point where he says, look, this is what I want. And their hearts ought to be moved to obedience. Acknowledging his goodness and his grace and his mercy that has come to them. And so as we come to this, essentially the, the law is all about relationships, healthy relationships. And we're going to unpack that in coming weeks, but this week I want to set the stage by talking about, just in general, this idea of, of limits. That the law comes and sets boundaries. The law comes and says, here and no further. <clears throat> because I don't know about you, but I, I don't like limits. I've spent nearly half of a century coming to terms with limits, and I'm not there yet. Limits, limits are so frustrating. And you can still, to this day, manipulate me if you want, if you're clever, now that I've shared it with you, this is a secret, uh, but if you want me to do something, just say, ah, just I don't really think it can be done. And I go, oh, what? especially if it's something of a technical nature that, that involves uh, something on a computer or in, a, a, in, a, in, a, in the physical world that doesn't involve people, then these are things that I feel like, oh, I could do that. You think it can't be done? Let's, let's do it. You, you, we can't get this transmission out of this car. Yeah, we can. Uh, uh. You know, I literally did that one time when I was much, 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 much younger, and it was a small car. Not a big transmission because I'm not a big person. But that's the kind of thing that that limits and this idea of of restrictions. It's challenging. And that's what we hear uh, rightly when we hear law, right? These are restrictions. And we don't like them. And we don't like stop signs. Pastor Dave mentioned that in the children's sermon. You know, we blow through them around here. You put up a little sign under the stop sign that says, you know, complete stop free, you know, rolling stop $150 or whatever. Has anyone ever gotten a ticket for that? Anyone in this room ever gotten a ticket for running through a stop sign in this township? Okay, so two out of 100. And, and how many of you make a complete stop every time? Uh, one, maybe two, okay, two out of 100. Different people, different people. So anyway, these limits, right, so limits come. And we don't accept limits. And brothers and sisters, we live in a society that is all about pushing limits, obliterating limits. Uh, One of our elders this week, John Batesel, was reading a scholarly article about the Babylonian goddess uh, Ishtar, Asherah, uh, Astarte, Queen of Heaven, whatever you want to call her. She had several names. And and historically, she has been described as uh, the goddess of sexual promiscuity and immorality. And that was a no-brainer, right? That's just what she was all about, uh, as well as uh, the murder of babies on Molech's altar. But in this article, this goddess was described as the goddess of liberty and personal freedom. liberty and personal freedom the right to choose what you want to do that is the essence and opposite of limits right to say i will define my own limits i will not let biology stand in my way i will not let norms and traditions oppose me i will do what i want to do now we can point our fingers at others, very obviously about the debates on gender and all of those kind of things, and sexuality, traditional morality, all those kind of things in our society, but I think we can point the finger at ourselves as well, as we don't accept the limits of things like sleep. Just stay up and binge a little longer, right? Stay up and work a little harder. We don't respect the limits of work. We we neglect our families. To get by and get ahead, we neglect physical brokenness. We don't accept limits. And when people express them, we we give them platitudes. Smile, just cheer up. It'll be okay. You know, it's not. Sometimes it's not okay. You're facing a limit. And it's hard. D.A. Carson put it, put it well. We don't drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, we don't gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. That's our culture. That's our culture. Experience. We're in the same ocean, drinking the same water. How do you, how do you feel about limits? Huh? What was your gut reaction when you learned that our new series is on the Ten Commandments? Were you thinking, yes, opportunity to learn how to obey better? <laughs> or were you thinking, oh, I don't, uh, uh, God's law. Commandments, do's and don'ts. I don't, you know, more pressure. Somewhere in between, hopefully. What, what are your thoughts about limits? Like speed limits, stop signs, taxes, work, rest, pandemic restrictions, election results. Whether it be most recently when many of us, uh, you hear talking about Biden stealing the election or In 2016, when many of us were saying things like, he's not my president, speaking of Trump, I'm not picking on one party or the other, those are limits that many are not accepting, that historically we have accepted. Those are symptoms of an underlying desire to be free. And the law of God comes and it speaks to us and what we most need to understand. As one commentator put it, the starting point and goal of all the commandments is love. Do you believe that? I hope as we go through these studies in the Ten Commandments that you begin to believe that To to be motivated by that, to take the law as part of your, as D.A. Carson put it, grace-driven effort to a full and satisfying life because all of your life is about relationships. Fundamentally, your relationship with God and then your relationship with other human beings. And that's what the law speaks to. Those two most fundamental directions of your life. Those relationships. And it comes in the midst of that as a great gift. From the, from the love of our relational God. So just today, I want to look at two things briefly about the, the source of the law. And the source of the law is love. The law is all about healthy relationships, and the source of the law is love. It is active help for all. It's, it's active help for all. The very fact of the revelation of God's law is this active help. That God comes... He, he, he didn't have to speak all these words, as it says there in Exodus 20, verse 1. He didn't have to speak all these words. In fact, they were written on the heart of man from the beginning of creation, and God didn't have to speak it. But He chose to, and He came to make it clear that this is His will. Despite us being as image bearers, and as Paul says in Romans 2, having the law written on our hearts, that we're without excuse, he comes and he speaks. And we work very hard to suppress that truth, yet God offers this help. And it's so clear, it's so simple, that even a child can understand what these words mean. And can start applying them to their lives. God says essentially, I'll make... I'll make it clear what I want from you. In fact, I will do that because it's what's best for you. These are these words are the very opposite of indifference or negligence that characterizes the view of many people who believe in God as a distant God who you know, started off the world, you know, He's just I'm out there, the power, and it's up to me. You know, th- these words come and they speak. Into our lives. And we'll talk some more about that in coming weeks about how the law is used and uh, what even the law is. But I want us to just capture that idea that the law comes uh, as a part of an active help from God. It is for our good. You know, one of the great traumas in life is for a child to be raised by parents or authorities who are not clear on what they want. You know, who, who, who are arbitrary. You know, maybe it's because uh, they're alcoholics and, you know, they, they act differently when they're sober versus when they're drunk. Or maybe it's some other just quirk of personality. But for a child to be brought up not knowing what is expected, they begin to guess. It, these are life-altering things. You know, there is a pattern consistent across many cultures of people brought up by alcoholics. People who drink too much on a regular basis. There are patterns. You, you, you see it. It shapes and molds us. And part of it is that inconsistency. But I have to guess. You know, abusive relationships of all forms. You begin to guess. What does this person want? How do I keep them happy? But that's, not, that's not the purpose of the law to keep God's happy got happy. It's God's declaration of saying, this is, this is how I want our relationship to exist. He acts like an adult. It says, here's what I'm expecting. And he speaks clearly to us, graciously. It is this help for us. And in fact, that, that gets at the word law, which I don't know if you noticed as we read through there, but the word law does not appear in this passage at all. Look at verse 1 again closely. God spoke what? These commands, all these laws. No, He spoke these words. God spoke words. That's, that's why this passage in the one in Deuteronomy 5, 6-21 through 21 is often referred to as the Decalogue, which is from... Latin and Greek through French or something, basically meaning 10 words or 10 sayings. I really like that. I think it's helpful. I'm going I'm to start using that instead of 10 commandments. I'm going to use Decalogue, and I'll try to explain it and make sure it's parentheses with something, but that's a mindset thing, that these are the 10 sayings. These are the 10 words. And now technically, okay, 10 commandments is not that far off from the the gist of what's happening here. But to call them commandments is somewhat of a, of a misnomer because the only grammatical command here is the only imperative, is honor your father and your mother. The rest are imperfect, meaning you, mostly coming out as what? You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall not, you shall not. Uh, they're, they're essentially grammatically spelled out as sort of future Patterns, timeless principles. This is the way I want you to live. Right? It's not do's and don'ts. It's like this is, this, is how, this is how we should live. This is what I want you to look like, how I want you to live. It's kind of a vision for how to maintain healthy relationships with God and with other people. And God speaks it here as this sort of active help Uh, The word law, there there are words for commandments appear um, in here in 20 through 23. The word law doesn't. It doesn't appear until Exodus 24, 12. Flip over there with me. Exodus 24, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on a mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment. Which I have written for their instruction. It's very important in that verse, an observation here that the word for law, that stone tablets with the law, is the word Torah. You may have heard of that Torah. And the word for instruction is Yara. They sound a little similar. Probably be even better if I could pronounce Hebrew better. But they are, they're very related. And the word for commandment is mitzvah, which you've probably heard of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, son of the commandment, daughter of the commandment. That's what that means. But here the word Torah, law, and instruction, yara, are from the same word. Actually the word yara, the noun, is the root of Torah, and the word originally meant to, to throw or to shoot. And it seems like the sense, it began to mean direct or teach. And you can see how that would happen, right? The image is maybe of, of guiding a rock or something along a path. So that that's what teaching is, right? So this is where we want to go. And so it's, it's actually not law, it's instruction. It's for your good. And again, we don't want to push this distinction too much, right? But, But to counter our mindset of what law is, I think these are helpful observations. To say the law of God is the instruction of God. That the commandments of God are to guide me in what is good. They're for my good. They, they don't establish a relationship with him. They don't merit any favor with him. Take it off the table and say, this is the way it's going to go well with me. As he promises children in the, in the first commandment, the promise, Paul would put it later on. What? Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. You can apply that to every commandment. If you honor God, if you don't steal, if you don't commit adultery, if you don't covet, it will go well with you principally. That's God's parameters. That's how God made the world, and we live in a fallen world, so obviously things are going to happen differently, but that's the essential thing here. Uh, This law comes to meet us actively, but it also does something else. It is an affirmation of love. It's active help for all, but it's also an affirmation of love for the redeemed. For God's people, this law comes in a very special way. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. These are the people He delivered, He rescued miraculously from the greatest superpower on the planet at the time. He sets them free. He intervened for them. And he says in Exodus 19:4, "You know, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. This is God's love coming to them, setting them free and saying, "This is what I want." And, and because I love you, I will tell you that. I will make my expectations clear. Not because you've earned my favor. In fact, we don't have time to to go through some great passages in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. Why? Because they're wonderful. Why? Because they're great. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Or Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, God comes, and because He loves you, because especially for those of you who know Him in a saving relationship, because He he wants what's best for you, He speaks and gives you His will. Clearly. So so don't, don't believe the lie that the law is not for you. That the law is something from the past that's irrelevant. This is for you. The source of the law is love, but the summary of the law is love as well. So our second point we'll go through briefly. The summary of the law is love. And that means that we respond to that love that comes, the source of the love from the law, that we respond to love with love. We read that passage earlier. Pastor Dave read Matthew 22, 34-40, where Jesus is prompted by a Pharisee to explain what is the great commandment in the law. He seems to be thinking, what do I have to do? What's the most important? And Jesus answers this question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says that's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus is is essentially saying there is really one command, love. And and God will develop that as love God, love neighbor. And then as we see in the Ten Commandments, God develops it as love, love God, love neighbor. Uh, Saying one through four, saying five through ten. right? Those are all forms of love. You want to know what it means to love God? Look at sayings one through four for the summary. Commandments one through four. If you want to know what it means to love your neighbor look at commands or sayings number five through ten this is the summary and you want to know more of that well the whole scripture jesus says all the law and the prophets all of the scripture amplifies that in fact there are like 600 plus more explications and elaborations of those laws of what they mean and how to apply them. And for most part, in the Old Testament, they're applied to an agricultural setting and a people who are in a certain place at a certain time. And for periods of time, they are as a monarchy with God, the ultimate ruler, all of those things. So you have to take them into account. But there's enough data there that, that we can understand and, and make the necessary changes to figure out what, what God wants me to do using wisdom, a multitude of counselors. How would God want me to respond living here in this country? Living here in this season? Being a part of this community? That that we can elaborate on that and extrapolate what God would want from us. That love works itself out in real life. And Jesus, you can tell, Jesus does not get rid of the Ten Commandments. He, he, He refers to them numerous times. So does Paul. The New Testament repeatedly affirms the specific commands and applies them to the churches of the day. Paul's time to the people of God in Jesus' time as he was walking on earth. Matthew 19, 16 19, Jesus talks about the commandments with someone who is asking him about eternal life. Romans 13, 8 to 10, Paul elaborates on, on the commandments. James 2, 8 to 11, he speaks about it. Then in other words, you know, the, the, the source of the law is love and the, the summary of the law is love. That we respond to love with love because relationships are life. That, that is where life, and they're actually death too. That, that's where life and death happens. In the context of relationships, you can think about not only murder from a human perspective, But you can think about our relationship with God, that when we break that relationship, that is when death entered the world. Relationships are life and and death. It's not without reason that it is in relationships that we find our greatest joys. That in a relationship with God, we find this happiness, this fulfillment, this joy that can abide the greatest sorrows. In relationship with other human beings, we can laugh at work, and find joy. Relationships are, are life, and the law comes and speaks to that. And Jesus came for that very reason, to redeem relationships first and foremost. Matthew five seventeen to 20. Jesus makes it super clear as He heads into the Sermon on the Mount, Speaking to his followers, his disciples. What does it mean to follow me? Jesus says. Kind of a a, a, a Moses revelation, Jesus speaking to his followers. What does it look like to follow me? Give them the Beatitudes, City on the Hill, Salt of the Earth, and then he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice that. just Whatever you do with the law, He seems to say your salvation is apart from that. You could be in heaven if you dismiss the law of God. That's interesting, isn't it? If you misunderstand the law and you teach others, you're just going to be least in the kingdom if you're right with God. Because your rightness with God depends on something other than your law-keeping. But he continues. Verse 20, Matthew 5. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. For all the grief, all the criticism, all the rebuke, Jesus leveled at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but especially here, the Pharisees, He says to His followers that your righteousness has to be more than surpass that of the Pharisees. Those people I just called hypocrites a moment ago and I will call hypocrites again, Jesus says. Your righteousness has to surpass those. How can it possibly do that? Before we answer that question, just notice this. The problem with the Pharisees was not their law-keeping. They weren't in trouble with Jesus because they kept the law. Their problem was thinking that their performance of the law would impress God, that their obedience to the law made them better than other people. Their problem was they thought they could keep all of the law and make themselves righteous in the eyes of God. To enter into heaven in their own power, with their own strength, on their own merits. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be even more righteous than that because they obviously don't keep the whole law. Part of what they did was narrow it down and redefine things to, into achievable limits. And Jesus says the limits were much higher. And then he goes on the Sermon on the Mount he just blows up the law and hits right in our hearts and says, yeah, you think you haven't murdered somebody because you haven't hit them on the head with a rock? You murdered somebody just coming into church today when you slandered them. You think you haven't murdered somebody. Have you sought reconciliation and forgiveness and followed and sought them? You think you haven't Committed adultery. Have you ever looked at a woman with lustful intent? Have you ever desired your spouse to be like someone else? That's what Jesus is saying. You you miss it. The righteousness is way more. Because the law is so deep and profound and timeless that we can't settle for just a surface reading. And that's not what God wants. In fact, He's spending all of this time to speak to us. And we'll get more into the purposes of how the law works and all those kind of things in the future. But just think about this. The the law has never failed. Hebrews 8, go read it for your homework this week. The people fail. We fail. The law is still good and right and true. And it will be the accountability tool God uses on that day. And He will judge right and wrong. And He will say to everyone on that day, when everyone rises from the dead and all of us stand before the judgment seat of God, and He will say, not only most likely were you exposed to the Bible and to the Ten Commandments, but you, as someone created in My image, have this law written on your heart and you work so hard all your life to suppress it, what are you doing with that? How do you account for that? This is what makes it the law of fire. Because it has to be kept and if you do not keep it, like touching the hot stove, you will be burned. Inevitably. Perhaps not now, but ultimately. So what's the solution? How do you have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees? How do you have a righteousness that will get you into heaven? You have to have one in your place. You have to unite yourself with the righteous one. The one who kept love perfectly. The one who loved God and loved neighbor with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. The one who never did any wrong. Who completely fulfilled all the promises of God. And what did he get for it? The praise of men? No, rejection. What did He get for it? Exaltation and uh, honor from people? No, cross. And a crown of thorns. Did that undo God's plan? No, that it was exactly God's plan. (laughs) That God would reveal Himself as not only the one of law, and limits but the one of grace and mercy who has overcome the problem we have by not keeping the law by keeping it for us the one who has come that if we would put our faith and confidence in him who will give us of his spirit that we might gain victory over our suppression of the truth that we might gain understanding of what he wants and that we might live differently from this point forward, that we might love him and begin to grow and we might repent and turn from our sins. This this is what it means. This is why Jesus came. Without the law, you don't know the limits of God and you also don't know the extent of the love of God because it is the reality of the existence of the law that makes Jesus' death necessary and his resurrection so hopeful and the presence of the Spirit what we most need. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is, the, this is the law. And it is all about healthy relationships, starting with that one with God. If you look at this law and are convicted by it, turn to Jesus for forgiveness. If you look at this law and are convicted by it, ask Jesus to make it clear to you. If you look at this law and you want to obey it and you feel like you're falling short, ask the community around you to come alongside you and help you that we might understand how to live in this love. If this law speaks to you, know that it speaks for your good. It is all about love. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You. Maybe at the beginning, of our time together we would not have thanked you for the law maybe we would have but we thank you lord for your grace and mercy that meets us and i pray as we go through your word in these coming weeks that we would grow in our love for your law that we would grow in understanding the limits it provides that we would grow in our relationships with you and others, grow more healthy, Lord, in understanding how do we apply the command to refrain from adultery? How do we apply the command to avoid coveting? How do we apply the command to honor our father and mother? How do we, O oh Lord, above all else, honor that command that you. Alone would be our God. We pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.